0: Well, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Today we have a guest worship band, which is Haley Montgomery, and uh, we'd like to welcome her. She's a longtime friend of Dominic Nuncio, our former worship pastor, and they're going to lead us in worship this morning.
1: Please choose God, we celebrate you on this day. Turn our hearts towards you this holy week. Let's sing this together. say you are. Open our eyes to see you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and greet the person next to you. Tell them happy Holy
2: Week. Give them a hug.
0: Dismissed. Follow Ryan. Well, good morning, good morning. What a fantastic song to end with as we go into the rest of our our worship time here. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? What a great reflection of Palm Sunday where here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem and His crowd and disciples are crying out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And people tried to stop him and he rebuked them by saying, If they kept quiet, the stones would cry out. It just brings chills to me every time I think about it. When we worship the Lord, we're worshiping the creator of the heaven and earth. So I'd like to welcome you this morning. My name is Ian O'Meara, the director of Community Life.
3: And I am Monica Disilcone, a member here at LJCC, and you'll oftentimes see me up on the praise
0: team. Monica is a fantastic volunteer. Her and her husband, Craig, they serve all the time. They were here yesterday serving. They're just a fantastic couple. We just really appreciate all you guys do. If, give them applause Not that that's why they're doing it They're doing it for the Lord Almighty But we want to, people like to be appreciated And we just want to appreciate what, all that you guys are doing If you have your bulletin, go ahead and take that out And on the inside cover is our prayer can connect card And there's a pen in the seat back in front of you We're a church that believes we are better together And we are rooted in prayer So if you have a prayer request, no matter how big No matter how small, put it on there And if you just want to let us know you're here, just go ahead and Mark your name on there, and the ushers will come by after the sermon, and they will collect those.
3: Last week, we had um, an awesome women's retreat where several of the women from this congregation were able to go and just be able to have community and dive deeper into God's Word. And so we welcome you um, to come back on the 28th to hear some of the testimonials from that weekend.
0: I'm definitely partial to the one on the left of the screen. That's my wife. Fantastic, but yesterday we had an amazing event. Who was here yesterday? Who was here yesterday? (laughs) The first service we had Ryan screaming out, so it just made it all that more impressive. But yesterday we had our Easter block party. Over 850 people came onto this campus. We had over 100 volunteers. It was a fantastic event. You'll hear more about it from Pastor Steve when he comes up. But it was just great to see the community come onto our campus for the name of Jesus Christ.
3: Uh, so going into Holy Week today with um, Palm Sunday, we look forward later this week uh, to being able to um, remember Jesus' journey to the cross on Good Friday. And so we invite you to come back Friday. Uh, we're going to be having a service from 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, there will be some child care provided for infants through kindergarten, and otherwise it's going to be a family-friendly service as we remember um, everything that happened on that Friday. And we also invite you to come back next Sunday for Easter. We're going to be having three different services 8, 9.30, 11 a.m., different times than normal, so if you show up at 9, it's going to be kind of an awkward in between, so just make sure that you have those different times kept in mind, and this is a great time to be able to invite other people to come in. Um, Easter is a time when people are highly seeking out churches, and so we have some invitations that you'll be able to find over there in the foyer to just pass out to people that you know.
0: And with that, at the end of the month, we're going to have a fantastic class called What's Next. If you're a new Christian or a non-Christian or if you're just stuck in your faith, this is a great opportunity to come to this class. It's going to be a, a discussion after the second service on the 28th. It's going to be hosted by Diane, Jimette, and myself. And it's an opportunity to ask those questions. Ask questions about God. Ask questions about the Bible. Ask questions about your faith. And just have that discussion. And the best part is it's going to be a community event where we're going to have lunch served. So please RSVP, that's the word. Respond, see you play to that as soon as possible so we can get that, um, get that food ordered and get ready for it. But if you know people or you're inviting people to Easter, this is a great event to follow that up with. Like I said earlier, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. So let's take some time to pray. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you, thank you so much for all that you're doing for us and have done. Lord, as we reflect on today of you entering Jerusalem For the purpose of dying on the cross, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, when the swirlings and whirlings of life get us down or they bring us up, Lord, that we would always look to you. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in this community. We're proud to serve you here. Lord, help us to be that light in the darkness, that gospel that brings the good news, that refreshes the soul. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen.
4: Well, I want to invite uh, Sean and Claire Ferguson to bring up Austin Leroy uh, Ferguson and uh, Bennett Paul. Right now, we uh, are delighted to welcome them and to uh, baptize you too. Come on over here, step right over here. Can we have just a collective, oh, oh, yeah. That was for you, Claire, now for you, Sean. Wow, we baptize people throughout the year, uh, children, babies, adults. Uh, sometimes it's down at our shores, we had hundred people down there last, uh, last spring uh, in wetsuits. Uh, uh, sometimes it's adults here, we sprinkle water on them and, and we, we baptize these little ones too. And so uh, what's the difference when you have people who can articulate their faith, they, they confess their faith and they're baptized. When we baptize these babies, obviously they can't confess their faith. And if you've come from a Baptistic background, you might say, well, gee, How can you baptize a baby? Uh, Just watch us. We'll do it right now. Um, What we're doing is we're recognizing the covenant that exists between uh, 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 Clara and and Sean, mom and dad, uh, in this family. That's the covenant that God has invited them into. And uh, in that covenant, then, we raise our children. And so our children don't grow up as little pagans until one day they say, hey, bing, I'm going to believe in Jesus. They grow up hearing the gospel, seeing the, the gospel demonstrated so you see when Peter gives that, that sermon on, on Pentecost, he said, this is for you and your children. Be baptized. This is for you and your children. And so the idea of, of baptizing babies is to recognize that they're in this covenant and that mom and dad are the primary priests, pastors, and prophets in that covenant. So this is a big job. When, I, when we, when we baptize a baby, it's follow the conversation with the mom and dad to say, are you committed to being the, the primary pastor to your children? If not, this is not for you. Uh, I know you love your kids, but if you're not ready to take on that responsibility, uh, then then don't do this. But having said yes, we will do this. This is a big moment for you, and so I applaud you for not only having these two beautiful children and you having the wisdom to marry Claire. Uh, uh, this little disclaimer disclosure: if you're new here, all men in this church marry up, so we just want to <laughs> let you know that's a given. We know that In fact. I have to state it anyway. And uh, so I'm going to ask you uh, some some questions, some formal questions. So. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you trust in Him alone for salvation? Yes. And will you be His disciples, show His love, raise little ones to know the love of Christ in your home in word and deed? Yes. Wow. So tell us what this means to you. Well, today we are committing our boys to the Lord in front of our family and our friends and our church. And we're pledging to be their Christian mentors and their spiritual guides in life. And we're really excited to be welcome, welcoming them into this wonderful church group and body of believers. And we will be raising them to know Jesus. So we're praying that he'll give us the strength and wisdom to raise them according to his will. Claire, would you like to correct, I mean, add anything to that?
0: <laughs> no, we're just so blessed to have them and to share them um, with family and friends and with God. And. Yep. We are so thankful to have found a church to help guide us.
4: Well, okay, Bennett Paul. You ready for this? So this is Bennett Paul. Can I take his hat off for just a second? Uh, We don't know what he's going to be when he grows up. Our hope and our prayer is that he would be everything that the Lord wants him to be. So that's our hope. That one day he will confess his faith in Jesus Christ, confirming what we do today by way of baptism. So Bennett, Paul, Ferguson, child of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, this is Austin Leroy Ferguson. These are well-fed babies. <laughs> this counts as a workout. Okay. Austin Leroy Ferguson, child of God. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we pray for this family. We thank you for the gift you've given them in marriage. We thank you for the gift you've blessed Uh, Sean and Claire with and these two beautiful little boys. We pray that you give them everything they need to follow through On this high and holy aspiration and this high and holy calling to be mom and dad and and pastors to these boys We pray that we as a congregation would give them everything they need and support them in that journey that process that we would be their partners in this and and we'd cheer them on as they do what you call them to do May they grow in their knowledge and love of view of one another and of these boys Uh, So we commit this family to Jesus' name. Amen. We have a statement we want to say to you. This is a very brief statement, just recognizing our commitment, our affirmation of you and our commitment to you. So let's say this together, if you would. Sean and Claire, you have pledged to be faithful ministers of God's
3: love and grace
4: in Austin and Ben's lives. This is a high. Well, if you weren't here yesterday, you missed something amazing to see 100 uh, of you, 100 uh, volunteers, uh, welcome these 850 kids and their parents, grandparents, family members, friends uh, from around the neighborhood uh, to this party. Wonderful occasion. Though I do have one gripe, and uh, I, I, I complained to the leaders yesterday, I got no traction it whatsoever so obviously I'm not I'm not happy about that so I want to let you know my issue there I was in the jumpy line kids elbowed me and pushed me out of the way to get past me fine I went to a different jumpy house line again over and over again I went and complained to leaders and they just looked at me with a pathetic look on their face I don't know where the Christian love was in that I don't know what to make of that so fine I went to the ponies is this body shaming or something? They said you have to be 70 pounds or less to get on a pony. I was so distraught. It uh, just undid me. So I don't know what to think about the day. Hopefully we'll get it right next year so all of you can come back and we can all together stand in the jumpy house line and get those kids out of the way. Um, It was absolutely inspiring to see what Rihanna and her team and all of you who helped make make that happen did. It was so neat to see people thoroughly enjoying a beautiful day and feeling like, okay, this is what... Uh, christians do maybe i'm interested maybe there's something here for me uh or if, if they already followers of christ and they go to another church the fact is hey something in our neighborhood is doing this to make it possible for families to get together and just enjoy being together as a family uh, this is the power of what the gospel looks like in very practical ways sometimes ways you say well how does that look like the gospel when people step up in jesus's name and do anything there's the gospel. We earn the right to be heard. We build bridges. Uh, one, of the, one of the saddest things is to see that that's not the case. And I, I know that that makes the Lord weep. When we're so preoccupied with our own stuff that we don't ever see the possibilities of being his partner in his work in the world. So I thank God for the privilege of being able to use this property in a way that if, if, this pro- if we all went away and sold and became condos, I think people in the neighborhood would say, gosh, I really miss it when that church is here. And they did all these other things that that were a blessing to me. That's that's the hope of the people of God as a church. Let me ask you the question. What makes you weep? What makes you weep? What brings you to tears? Uh, Let me give you some examples. Some might sound trivial. Some might sound important. Uh, This week, Magic Johnson wept as he resigned from being uh, the head of the Lakers. The LA Lakers. You think, well, okay, it's basketball. Big deal. It was a very deep and moving experience for him because he saw there's some things happening that had to change, and he couldn't bring himself to make those changes. That's, that's one of the challenges of every leader is when you confront things, you go, oh my gosh, you've got to make changes. I don't want to be the one to make it. So he, in front of all these news people, he said, I haven't even told the owner of the team, Genie Bus, because I know I'll crawl like a baby if I try to tell her that I'm leaving. So I'm just announcing it, and he was in tears. This is a big, giant man. He's not afraid of anyone or anything, and yet it, it moved him to, to, to tears to think that there's things aren't, things aren't right, and I, 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 I can't make it different, so I'm gonna step aside. It's a very sad moment for him. And if you're a sports fan, you understand that that's not just a criminal sports irrelevancy, but uh, that was a big drama for him and a whole community of people um, this week. Uh, for you uh, UVA fans, uh, you maybe were weeping tears of joy and delight that for the first time ever, your team won a national championship. Uh, Uh, Meanwhile, Texas Tech fans wept that they'd lost to UVA. So if there's any of either of you here, please just make up and have brunch together afterwards, okay? Uh, How about this? On a larger world scale, um, Israelis wept that Bibi Netanyahu won a fifth term. Uh, Israelis wept that Bibi Netanyahu uh, won a fifth term. Palestinians also wept that he won a fifth term. Now, some of the Israelis wept because they said, thank God, more, free, more safety and security. Bibi will keep us safe. Thank God that, that he, he won, even if it was a cliffhanger, because we're going to be okay. Palestinians wept because they said, oh no, it's further out of reach to have a sense of, of, of peace in this world. Now, depending on it really not even depending on your point of view politically, isn't it interesting the things that make us weep? When big things are at stake, it moves us to tears. From, from the sublime... Uh, freedom in your land to the you know the mundane and sometimes ridiculous how a sports team fares. Um, I was with a friend yesterday, who is a phenomenal man of God, and uh, he's in his last days of life. And so I anointed him with oil and prayed for him. And it was one of those moments that makes you weep because this man is he, this man embodies the fruit of the spirit. He's a man I hold in the highest regard, in the highest esteem, uh, and I, I tell I, I was able to tell him with with uh, no exaggeration whatsoever. That there would be thousands of people lying outside his door if we allowed them to, to come and say goodbye to him before he dies. He's touched so many thousands of lives uh, and he knows it and, 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 and it evoked him to tears just thinking about that. He's so humble that he wouldn't want to acknowledge that. Uh, and so we were laughing and kidding each other about that but at the same time uh, standing in the presence of God together realizing he's ready for his resurrection body. And knowing that he's, he, he has forgotten more about theology and the word of God than I know. Uh, and when he's in church, he's sitting there with his Greek New Testament looking at me going, <laughs> I don't, I don't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Uh, so what makes you weep? What, what moves you uh, to tears? Second question, while you're letting that one float in your mind. What makes you smile? What makes you smile? Well, basically, we, we smile, we laugh, Uh, We cheer at goodness, right? Whenever we see goodness, we say, yes! I like it when goodness prevails. Uh, At beauty, uh, we smile. We see things that are beautiful. We say, oh my gosh, those beautiful children. It just makes me smile. Uh, Justice makes us smile. Oh, when somebody gets justice, even if it's been postponed, (coughs) they finally get justice. And then likewise, love makes us smile. It puts a smile on our face, love. Those things, isn't it funny? Those things also make us weep. Goodness makes us weep. When we encounter goodness... In, in a world that's often too distracted and too busy to practice it, it, it gives us pause. We say, "Oh my gosh!" It takes my breath away. I just saw some goodness there. When we see beauty—not just cosmetic beauty or beauty that that says, "Look at me"—but we see we see people acting ways. That we see there's a beauty about this person in this situation that's ennobling and inspiring. How about justice? Oh my gosh! Uh, this summer. Um, uh, John Richmond will be with us. Some of you have heard him. He preached every summer for the last, I think, four or five years. He'll be coming back this year as our ambassador at large, overseeing all efforts on the United States, in the United States and around the world on behalf of the United States, to promote human justice and to overcome human trafficking. Uh, he can tell you so many stories of justice that makes you smile and weep all at the same time. You think, yes. Uh, and so love, likewise. When you experience love, it it makes you smile, but it also provokes and elicits big emotions. I remember a few years ago, this big guy, he's an attorney, a litigator, super smart guy. He was here with his girlfriend, now his wife. they parents of two beautiful kids. And he was trying to sort out where he was with this whole faith thing. She was a believer. He was, going, I don't know. I might just be too smart for this. I might be, you know. And, and not arrogantly, but just, you know, really, I have all these questions. And one day in the middle of worship, he just started weeping. And later I said, hey, how what were you feeling? And I said, you know what? It came out of nowhere. I was so, sort of embarrassed, but I thought I'm just going to stand here and take it. You know, uh, I didn't want to leave because it, it, what happened was it wasn't an answer to a question, it wasn't a big breakthrough of something I was wondering about. I was all of a sudden struck by the love of God. God's love for me undid me. What nothing else could, that did. Did you relate to this at all? These things that make us weep that also can make us smile. But we see in Luke 19, uh, starting in verse 37, that Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem. It says, when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. Uh, those of you who've been to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is on the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem. Coming out of the desert, you go up very high. So Jerusalem is high up. So whenever you hear read the Bible, it says, going up to Jerusalem. It's not, we think of up, it's like up to San Francisco, north. It's literally going up. You go up, Jerusalem is always up. Even if you're going south to Jerusalem, you're going to go up eventually. And when people come into Jerusalem uh, for these pilgrimages, in this case Passover, they, they sing psalms. So Psalm 120 to 134, the Psalms of Ascent, are these beautiful psalms that prepare you to, to, to walk into Jerusalem. And so there's songs praising the city of God, Jerusalem, sometimes called Zion, sometimes called David's City. Uh, and so there's a lot of emotion packed into that. People maybe for the first and only time are visiting Jerusalem. Others try trying to make that pilgrimage every year. And so when you come up over the Mount of Olives, out of the desert, it's stunning to see, this, first of all, this beautiful place, the Mount of Olives, all these olive trees cascading down the slope, down to a, a river, the Kidron Creek, the Kidron Valley. And then you see this city, and you go, oh my gosh, it's breathtaking. And it's interesting to see people's emotional response to it. It's kind of a breathtaking my gosh, I had no idea that this would evoke so much emotion, seeing this place. Well, that's what's going on here. I notice it says the crowd of disciples. It just doesn't say a crowd of people. I don't know if you've read this passage before, if you're familiar with what Palm Sunday is. We're going to talk about that today. Maybe you're very familiar with this, but I bet even if you're very familiar with it, it hasn't occurred to you. Because it jumped out at me in a whole fresh way when I said I saw that phrase, crowd of disciples. These were people that knew something about Jesus, that believed something about Jesus, it makes me wonder not to, not to insert something into the text that isn't there but because it says they're disciples I kept thinking wow I wonder if Jesus coming over the Mount of Olives and now making that descent down into the Kidron Valley and back up, back up a little incline into Jerusalem proper with his apostles, the, those close in disciples he saw those people who have been maybe traveling with them or that have gathered on occasion but did he also look up and go oh my gosh there's Zacchaeus he came up from Jer- from Jericho Oh my gosh! there's blind Bartimaeus who was on the road. Oh my gosh! There's that lady from Capernaum who came up and touched me, and was healed. There's the, And you know, you imagine Peter next to him. Hey, look at that! That's the kid that you, they lowered through my roof. Hey, kid that cost me fifty shekels. You know, but it was worth it. Uh, did they? Did he get to see people from all over his ministry over the previous three years ago? Oh my gosh! They're all here. They're praising God for how He's worked in their life, along with those people who maybe were discipled by virtue, saying. I can't wait to see Jesus. I've heard so much about him. We don't know, right? But it says a crowd of disciples. Let me just tell you this. Fast forwarding to Good Friday. These were not the same people who were standing in a crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. We sort of get that muddled in our arm's length understanding of what happened. We assume crowd, crowd, different crowd. If we could be all of a sudden transported right now to to. um uh, a place where I'd want to stand with you. Uh, an old fortress. Overlooking Jerusalem. I could, I could walk you through. Hey here's what it looked like for that to happen way over there. And here's what it looked like when Jesus was at night taken. Arrested. Brought before Caiaphas. Brought before uh, uh, Herod. Brought before uh, the, uh, these, these chief priests who wanted to, to get rid of him. And it was all secretive. And when he was then marched out to the cross. It wasn't the same crowd. There might have been a few people in that crowd that were, that, uh, who were there that, that day that he was crucified. But it's a different crowd. So right now we're talking about people who had a knowledge. It wasn't just, hey, isn't this cool? We're in a big, major event, and now we're cheering. We don't know why. These were people who were cheering intentionally and from an informed point of view. They knew whom they were cheering and welcoming into Jerusalem. For, this, for them, it represented such a momentous occasion. And so they said, blessed is the king. They call him the king. Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Something very right and good is happening on this occasion. So much so that they're saying, it must be really good in heaven if it's just good on earth. Right? The king has come to redeem his creation. I don't know if this is the sort of thing that evokes much in Americans. Uh, the people from UVA probably had the happiest day of their life for at least this week. If something great happened to you this week, some good news, some big breakthroughs for something you've been working and praying for, maybe you're going, God, I couldn't be happier. Uh, our daughter Lauren showed up with her little son, Miles. They were on the way to LA. And just got to see him for a little bit. It was just like such a wow, how fun is this? I couldn't be happier seeing Miles with Lauren and with. Um, The woman who they call grandmother, but looks like she just got out of college. And, you know, all together, it's like, wow, this is so fantastic. Uh, These people had so much pent-up yearning for God to put things right. I can only imagine the the tears and the laughter and the cheers and all that going on at once on this occasion. But some of the Pharisees, these guys who were, you've heard this name bandied about Pharisees. I wish I had time to really unpack that for you. Because the Pharisees started out really, really well. Nothing but good intentions and the desire to be sure that Israel didn't go off the rails again. Didn't get carried off into captivity. Got to really get it right with God. But somewhere along the way, uh, over decades and decades and decades and decades, the Pharisees had become hardened to God, believe it or not. Zealous for God, but hardened. To the point that they didn't even recognize him when he showed up in their midst. They resented Jesus' intrusion into their life and into their world. So one of the Pharisees uh, says to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is so wrong. This is Passover. This is a holy pilgrimage. They're singing psalms of praise, expecting the Messiah. And you're allowing them to do this? Stop them from doing this. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Do you think he was smiling when he said this? I think he was. I, I think because the moment this is where the this is the difference between me and you as smart alecky people who come up with something really funny to say, and Jesus would just say what's true and smile, and it would have the same effect only better. Well, I don't know. If I if I do that, even the stones are going to cry out. So, which would you rather hear—the people praise or the stones? You know, it's that sort of a thing, right? He's simply recognizing this is bigger than you. This is better than what you've offered them. And it better made them happy to see the people happy. Now, just a little footnote for all parents here. If, you, if your goal is to make your children happy, you will ruin your children and drive yourself crazy. If you love your children and you, and you help them become holy, I don't mean by that religious, I mean to be alive to God. Like what we just heard from Sean and Claire about Austin... Bennett. Not otherworldly, not irrelevant, but alive in Christ. That's what means to be holy. Alive to all the possibilities of life. A character that reflects the character of the friend I, I was with yesterday. Somebody of you say, I just want to be with this person. I do not want my friend to die. Nobody who knows him wants him to die. They want him to live forever. He's like Paul, writing Philippians. Man, should I stay or should I go? It looks like I might die here in prison Uh, And if I I get out, mm, I kind of would like to go be with the Lord, but it might be better for me to be with you for a while, right? Think about that. Being happy then comes out of being holy. Happiness, as we all know, is always derivative. It's never the primary focus. If it becomes a primary focus, we'll sacrifice all of our principles and all of our values to be happy. We'll do it at other people's expense. We'll rationalize everybody else's unhappiness, and we'll end up running for Congress. I mean, we'll end up um, uh, doing things that are all about power and not about service. And if you try to make your kids happy, you will make them miserable. If you help your kids grow up righteously, feeling loved and and secure in the fact that somebody is loving them enough to say no, and, and we need to do that differently, loving them enough to say, you can do that, I'll back you up. And if you fail, so what? You just fail. That kind of love, that is powerful. And so these people were stepping up and saying, I recognize reality, and I'm, and I'm recognizing it at the top of my lungs. And so i better made Jesus happy to see the people expressing their holiness, is where I'm going with this. This is where the Beatitudes come in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God, right? For, they shall, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the byproduct, that's the payoff of holiness, is that you start to say, I can't imagine being happier more alive, and I'm even willing to suffer and sacrifice for this life. You notice that when people who live just to be happy will never, ever suffer or sacrifice, but they'll be happy for you too in order to increase their happiness. An entirely different point of view. So while many cheered, others jeered. Who were the people jeering? The one who felt like Jesus is threatening their hold on power and control. He was disrupting the status quo in a way that would causing people to feel so alive, it was scary. And these Pharisees were scary close to people alive and responsive to God. And I'll tell you what, i take a person alive and responsive to God any day over anybody who's super religious. Religious people will suck the air out of the room because all they're all about rules and regulations and rituals uh, that, that keep them tied up in knots. People who are alive to God, worship God, Whatever rituals they embrace are a living ritual. Whatever rules they invoke are rules that will keep us on the rails in a way that allows us to live fully. You follow what I'm saying? So to be alive in Christ makes you what other people say is religious. To become religious makes you a person who becomes ultimately irrelevant. And so that's what's going on here. Some cheered, others jeered. I hope this encourages you just a bit because even God gets rebuked when he acts like God. You will be rebuked if you step up and cheer for God. And when you're rebuked, don't take it personally. It just comes with hanging with him. Don't go out of your way to be obnoxious or or rude. Don't don't become arrogant. Don't shout people down. Simply be present to Christ in the presence of people. And sometimes you'll still be rebuked. Uh, Don't be surprised if, if you are rebuked. And so as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it. Jesus wept over it. And here's what he said. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So what a reversal. All the cheers, all the the joy, all the, wow, this is the best day of my life. Jesus is coming to town. Um, And Jesus, no doubt, just so happy for the people. When he gets to see Jerusalem, it evokes this incredible sense of sorrow. What is going on here? What did he see that they couldn't see? What did he see clearly that they could not see? And so as he's looking at them, so happy for them in this moment of recognition, he's also recognizing where this was gonna go. When I was 13, it was, a, it was Labor Day, the day before I started eighth grade, uh, I lived in a little suburb called San Jose, uh, it's a Willow Glen, a little cute little suburb in San Jose, uh, far from Las Gatos and that part, you know, of San Jose. And so we're coming over the hill from Santa Cruz back into uh, the valley, and um, Highway 17, two lanes each direction. Uh, they call it Blood Alley for a really good reason. It's a super dangerous highway because there's so much traffic that goes back and forth. If you're in a, on, I've, I've been on a, on a motorcycle at, at 100 miles an hour and you feel like you're flying. And floating it's so beautiful but if you put cars on it it's deadly and treacherous and on this day all the cars were coming back at the end of the day from a wonderful final hurrah and labor day at the beach all the kids going back to school the next day and as we're coming down back into San Jose and toward Las Casas, it's just beautiful and I see I I'm in the back of the car I'm sitting there and I look over and I see these kids on the other side of the freeway, and there's no traffic on on the way going to Santa Cruz at this time of day. So these kids run across the street. They look like older high school kids. They're stopping at the median, and I'm looking back, thinking that's kind of weird. They're crossing a freeway, and there's a lake on the other side over here. So they're probably going to go over and jump in that part of the lake. And so as I'm watching them, I see the kids are laughing, laughing, laughing. Hey, tomorrow's school. Let's have a great day. And, and all, for some reason, this massive amount of rushing cars—the car closest to them stops. Thinking, oh, these kids are going to jump out front. Car stops. All the cars stop. And the kid starts running across, and the other line of cars can't see him. So here I am. Uh, I could see what I could see in that split moment—what the kid was going to do—and I could see what the car didn't see. And it was a surreal moment. Everybody in my family. Uh, are, they're all looking out that way, and I'm looking back going, I can't believe this is happening. And it all unfolds in front of me, and this kid gets hit by the car, and his body in that weird kind of off-kilter, you know, the weight of a body doesn't look like this, It goes. And I'm just watching this kid uh, thrown by the car, and, and he dies. I I didn't have words for him, in a like, and I, I just said something, oh, oh, like I, I was just kind of, couldn't even articulate chicken My mom, my dad, I go, what, what? Go, that kid just got hit by a car. And now my brothers and sisters are turning around looking at him. And it was just like, oh my gosh. And I, I didn't even have tears because I was so shocked. I wasn't shocked. So I, I didn't even have a chance to weep with just, him. I just thought, oh my gosh, tomorrow I go to school as an eighth grader. That kid won't be going back to high school. So Jesus looks at the city and realizes what's at stake. And it moves him to tears. Tears are a gift from God. Because they allow us to recognize something at stake. Something either beautiful and good and just and right is revealed, or something horribly wrong is revealed. And at that moment, even if you can't articulate it as a 13-year-old, you say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That kid is supposed to go to school tomorrow. And, and as Jesus looked at those people and the children that were with them, with all the expectation of that week of celebrating Passover, he sees... What is going to come. And so he says it. He says the days will come as he's speaking to the city. Just like the people had previously been singing the songs of Ascent to the city, so likewise in a personal way, he's speaking to the city. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, this wasn't a, a, a word of cursing, a curse on the city. This was an expression of lament over the city. And in fact, it occurred two times. 30 years after this, 33 years after this event, when he's coming into the city, the Romans dismantled the city. After big siege, embankments, uh, they, they, they killed all the children, all the women, all the, all the men that fought, The rest were sent off into slavery. The city was flattened, and it was a wasteland. In 135 AD, uh, Jews had migrated back to the city and built it up again, uh, another rebellion against the Romans. And this time, uh, they killed uh, about 800,000 people. They sent about 300,000 people. Uh, They sent about 800,000 men, women, and children off to slavery. They leveled the city so effectively that they said, this will be a wasteland. And, and they prohibited the Jews from ever returning to the city. They gave them one day a year to come back to the city so they could weep over it. So This is what Jesus was saying. Do you recognize the times in which you live? Do you recognize the times in which you live? I'm not talking about conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theory is half-baked ideas based on half-true information. All conspiracy theorists are the equivalent of mushrooms. They live in the dark and they eat crap basically. <laughs> debris. They eat debris. They get waste products. That's how you grow mushrooms. You keep it in the dark, and you feed them garbage. Conspiracy theorists are paranoid, panicked people. I'm not talking about, are you, are you panicked and conspiracy theorist in Jesus' name? No. I'm saying, are you aware of the times in which you live? Do you understand the inherent beauty of this world, but in its fallen state, it's very dangerous and very violent, and people are suffering every day for lack of a clear sense that there is a God who loves them and has a better plan for them. What time is it in this culture? What time is it in your life? And just for you, without being able to speak for your culture, are you welcoming Jesus into your life? Are you saying, Jesus, I want to align my life with you and your message under your lordship, and I want to be part of what you're doing uh, to redeem this world? Because I see the alternative. People dying way too young, people being hurt for no apparent purpose, and bad things happening on a daily basis that just shouldn't be. You recognize that everybody needs Jesus that can be the most provocative thing to ever say in a crowd in our culture these days Do you recognize that everybody needs Jesus if you want to get kicked off your, your news show just at some point look out in the camera or into the microphone and say hey by the way I was just thinking about this week do you know that everybody needs Jesus ah you're out uh, if you're going to run for congress if you're going to apply for a job and say, what's the most important thing for you they're trying to get to know you Hmm, I'd say probably the most important thing to me is that everybody needs Jesus. Gee, it's been great. This interview's been wonderful. We gotta go now. Uh, Just uh, stay stay in touch with us. I love the way that Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement Through the shedding of His blood to to be received by faith. Three hundred years after this moment, a little less than that, that was the message in the Roman Empire. Everybody needs Jesus. At this moment, that was not the message in the Roman Empire. So I ask you the question: Do you grieve over the devastating effects of sin in our world? The word sin is out of fashion, but sadly not its effect. The word sin is out of fashion, but the effects of sin are not out of fashion. They're with us right now. Violence, materialism, immorality, lying, cheating, stealing, watching The Bachelor and enjoying it. I don't know where else to go with this. Um, I won't even begin to pick on the Game of Thrones people here today because uh, you're, you're beyond. I can't even talk you out of that. You know, so you're already gone. And, and all kidding aside, sin leads to grief, right? It causes us to grief and weep over the lostness of where we find ourselves if we're honest about it. We grieve spiritually, we grieve emotionally, we grieve economically, we grieve physically. It puts us at great risk and robs us of life. That's what sin does. It makes promises it cannot keep. It sets us up to to pick things that are illusory uh, and are not substantive. It's a head fake from the real message that there's a God and he made us to be in a relationship with him. So that was the message that Jesus was bringing. That's the message that we still wrestle with here. To capitulate to being religious is not the answer. It's about, again, being alive in him. Again, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is not a call to religious living. It's a call to living and being alive in in a relationship with the living God. Which brings us to the first reference to Jesus weeping. Because before entering Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus wept over the death of his friend Lazarus who lived just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from which Jesus had come to enter the city. He wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. His Lazarus had been in the tomb about four days by the time Jesus shows up. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, pretty upset with Jesus. you know, if you'd come here earlier, maybe you could have done something. But the way that it worked in that day was that they buried you feet first, facing the outside of the tomb. And after three days, if you didn't come on revive, because they didn't always know if a person was really dead. And after three days, two, three days, if you were still dead, you were dead. And so it's fourth day, he's definitely dead. Why didn't you get here sooner? And Jesus says to them this amazing thing, just before raising Lazarus from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So then he raises Lazarus from the dead. What do you imagine Lazarus did after Jesus raised him from the dead? Do you think he ever had a normal day after that? <laughs> imagine sitting around with his buddies and somebody goes, oh, it's hot, it's humid, there's bugs. How can it be worse than this? Can you imagine Lazarus leaning around going, you could be dead? <laughs> you know. I think he lived intentionally after that. I think he was in that crowd going, yeah, Jesus! The guy goes, you know, you should tell those people to be quiet. And can you imagine Lazarus going, hey, can we talk? Because, you know, a few days ago, I was like you. I was dead. I mean, I was dead, and maybe you're feeling dead. If you're not hearing this as the voice of life, maybe you're dead. And so in weeping over the city and then entering Jerusalem, Jesus expressed God's heart for us all. Think about this. There's a God who weeps over you. Think about the Roman gods and the Greek gods. They didn't weep over anybody unless they had missed an opportunity to mess with a, a mortal, make life difficult for humanity. And in his grief, he didn't turn away from us. He turned intentionally toward us. He didn't have that moment and say, wow, this is what's going to happen, and turn around and leave and go back over the Mount of Olives. And then you look at the Pharisee on his way out going, you're right, Just telling him to be quiet. There's nothing to sheer here it's going to get worse. No. He didn't come as the honorary parade marshal for Passover. The honorary Passover parade grand marshal. He came to rescue the city. Uh, we have a dear family friend who was the Rose Queen. And if you, she will, not, she will admit it to nobody. She doesn't try to go, oh, yeah, it was a Rose Queen. She will never admit it. And if you say, hey, remember, what was it like being a Rose Queen? She goes, I don't want to talk about it. You know, I'm embarrassed to think I even did that. And uh, it was really a neat experience at the time. But now I look back and go, oh my gosh, you know. Um, But her family every year sponsors a parade on New Year's Day on their street. The street's not that long. And and the only requirement for coming to the parade is you have to be in it. So every New Year's, every year it gets bigger and more unmanageable. But basically everybody knows I am in the parade. So what happens is they start at the end of a small street. And really, the whole street is filled with people by now. And they all, and everybody standing on the side is going like this, like, hey, hey, come on, we're not, we can't talk to the parade, you're not in it yet. And, and then there's some vintage car, this beautiful vintage car, uh, with the, the el- most elderly lady in the neighborhood sitting in it. And she's festooned as the queen. And prior to this, uh, my friends uh, will gather all the former queens for the last 20 years for breakfast. And they all talk about "Well, oh, when I was queen, and they all remember this on there, you know. And the parade's all five minutes long, because basically the whole time is spent organizing everybody to get in the street. And then they all start walking, and pretty much the first people in the line walk about five feet, and they go get to the donuts (laughs) in our friend's front yard. And so then they start eating and drinking, and and everybody else takes their time, because they're all laughing and talking. By the time they all get there, they've been in the parade. Now, see, the wonderful thing is all, and the fire guys are there. There's a fire truck there. I said, hey, hey, how did you get the fire guys to show up? They said, well, we invited them, and then just in case we told them that we had their phone number, we could call anytime. And I I said, you have their phone number yet? It's 911. We just called 911, and they're going to come. And so the neat thing is, everybody who comes to this parade knows that my friends walk with Jesus. So they get what the parade's about. We walk with Jesus in a parade, we don't watch Jesus walking in a parade. That's the big message, right? That's the big message. And so Jesus comes to rescue. He becomes vulnerable, and through his vulnerability, he becomes powerful. He submitted himself to God, and God raised him up. He took on the form of a servant, a doulos, a a voluntary slave. He emptied himself, and God lifted him up, raised him up. And so in humility and compassion, he decisively confronted evil with love and truth. It makes you weep from tears of joy and sorrow to think, why did it take me so long to accept him? That's why Jesus, God with us, came into the world. Um, And on the occasion of his birth, think about this. He's he's 30-something at this point. 30-something years previously uh, on the night of his birth. Do you remember what happened? Five miles away in Bethlehem, some shepherds were in a field. And an angel appears to these shepherds and says this, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Oh my gosh that's what was fulfilled when jesus came into jerusalem great joy for all the people today the angel says in the town of david the city of david is a euphemism for jerusalem but the town of david is bethlehem today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord this is the one who then kept the promise of god and walked into the city to rescue it does this give you goosebumps it gives me goosebumps i ask myself and ask me the question what good news are you bringing into this world every day by virtue of walking with Jesus. I don't mean trumpets blasting and making a big announcement, hey, I'm here. But I mean, simply, as you're present to Jesus in the presence of other people, what good news do you bring? Oh, thank goodness she's here. Things are going to get better because she's going to have a way of dealing with this that is really helpful. You know, he's going to have some wise insights on this. I'm so glad he's here. Hey, we're so we, we need them to solve this issue. That's the good news that we bring. Wherever we show up, people go, hey, there's some hope here. Oh, well, not done. Uh, but, oh, good, they're, they're here. The so Palm Study celebrates Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Why? Because he was coming fully committed to fulfill his mission. He prepared for it, he was ready for it, his God given mission. So I ask you, are you committed to fulfilling yours? And let me give you the really complicated theological reason, for, uh, way to do that get moving. That's it. Get moving. Start moving with Jesus, start paying attention to what. It says about him in the Bible what he says in the Bible, and start emulating that, and you you too will find yourself in his parade, part of his rescue mission to redeem the world. And so Matthew gives us a take on it. I'm going to read it quickly. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the house of figs on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I hope this reinforces to you that Jesus planned this whole thing. He came intentionally to do what he did. Jesus came in gentleness and humility. He will return righteous and victorious. Matthew makes this quote from Zechariah nine, but he leaves out part of the quote. It's very interesting. And the part he left out, I put in brackets. It says, Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion, another name for Jerusalem and, and Israel, say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, and Matthew says, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. He omits the line from Zechariah 9.9 that says, righteous and victorious. Why is this? He came humbly, and unobtrusively on a donkey, he will return righteous and victorious. He came in a way not to make a big deal about, I'm, I'm, I'm the new sheriff in town, I'm going to take names. He came to say, I've come to save you. I'm, I'm, I'm so serious about this, I'm, I'm willing to weep over it because I see what the alternative is. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat uh, on the cloaks. So here's the key. They started moving, and they did what Jesus told them to do. Is this your strategy? If this is your strategy, things are going to go really well for you as you join Jesus in his work in the world. As long as you don't move and you don't do what Jesus tells you to do, nothing's going to happen, and you can pray every day. Oh, Jesus, just tell me what to do. That's the lamest prayer you can pray. Oh, Jesus, you just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. It's a total cop-out prayer. I know because I pray it every single day. (laughs) This is my daily go-to prayer. Just tell me what to do. And he goes, Steve... Get off your rent and do what is in front of you and what you think needs to be done. Take some responsibility and, and lean into it. And as you're doing that, I will tell you what to do and how to do it. You see that? And so a very large crowd spread their cloaks. This is a recap a retelling of the story from Matthew's point of view. Uh, while others cut branches from the trees, that's why we call Palm Sunday, and spread them on the road. The, the palms represented two things, a victory. They also represented mourning. The crowds as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the king, uh, to so- the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's the Greek word for uh, 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 Hosanna. Save us, save us now. Save us, we pray. Hosanna is, is an imprecatory word. You know, uh, uh, Help us, save us. Answer this prayer immediately. So here's how a Jewish follower of Jesus described Jesus' glorious, glorious mission. This is from Hebrews, a book that we don't know the author. It could be a male or female, but it was a really wise, Jesus-driven, now follower of Jesus, person reflecting on the entirety of the Old Testament. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact reputation, representation of his being. Jesus Christ, the, the, the visible image of the invisible God. Do you want to know what Jesus looks like? What God looks like? Look at Jesus. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus now reigns in heaven, confirmed as king. They welcomed him as king, and he's now confirmed as king, having risen from the dead. He will return to make a new heaven and a new earth, And I love what the book of Revelation says. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There's a lot yet to be done at this point in the story. We know how it ends. And thanks to God, it ends well. Ultimately, it all ends really well because of Jesus. And so we see in Revelation, at the end of Revelation chapter 21, look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. If you were there and you said to someone, what makes you weep? they say, I have no idea what you're talking about. What does it mean to weep? And you go, oh, never mind, I'm new here. I'm sorry. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? For the old order of things has passed away. Guess what? You're part of making that old order pass away. You have the privilege of being in his parade on your way to seeing that the old order will be no more. You are at the advent of a new heaven and a new earth. Hang in there. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disdainful. If you've been walking far from God, turn back and walk with him. If you've never opened your heart to him and and you've been reluctant to walk with him, start walking with him. If you've been walking with him for a long time, look for anyone and everyone you can to mentor and to encourage as they take first and, and second and maybe umpteenth steps in their walk with Jesus. Don't get bogged down in the cultural fog that says it's irrelevant. Walk into the light, see that this is what life is meant to be. So, Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters here. This is my prayer for those who are here, Lord, that have yet to open their hearts and minds to you, through your Holy Spirit. Move them, urge them, inspire them, Lord, to open themselves to you today and to start walking with you. For those deep in discouragement today, Lord, feeling unworthy of your love and grace, I pray that you'd help them see that that's the place where your love and grace will meet them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank
0: you, Pastor Steve. Uh, We just want to thank Haley and the band for being here. If you want more information about Haley, she'll be at a table out on the patio. Uh, If you didn't smell the sausage or see it on the way in, we have a brunch afterwards. Uh, You're welcome. It's free. If you have children, please go pick them up immediately after this and then eat with them. Stop (coughs) babysitting while you eat. Just go grab your kids and have a great time. Sit at a table where you don't know someone. Fellowship. That's part of our worship. Worship is when we – it's not just song and music. It's when we take our eyes off ourselves and we put it on God, and God calls us the body of Christ. So with that, we're going to uh, invite the ushers to come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offering. This is a time where those who call LJCC home give back uh, the blessings they receive and partner with the gospel in this community. So let's continue our worship this morning with giving and song.
1: offering us a love that covers sin, a very real hope, God, from the weight that we feel in this world and internally, Jesus, you, you're the only one that offers a hope and a promise that's greater. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. Let's stand and sing this last song together.
4: Sunshine. Most of all, enjoy the fact that you know the Lord. He's making you alive in Him. He gives you a reason to praise, to sing hosannas, and to be comforted by His abiding presence because of all, all that He was willing to do on behalf of you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore.